Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. My fellow cardio nerds, it's Amit Goyal. Thank you so much for joining us for this amazing series with the one and only Dr. Milton Packer, where he tells us how his visionary ideas disrupted the status quo and shifted the paradigm in the care of patients with heart failure. If you haven't already, be sure to check out parts one and two of this incredible journey and rare opportunity. And now, join us for part three, negative trials, a second chance, and a paradigm shift. We're so grateful to doctors Mark Balkin and Sherlene Abobi from the University of Chicago for leading and planning these phenomenal episodes. And friends, remember that CardioNerds is an independent, fellow-founded educational platform with a mission to democratize cardiovascular education. The views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of our employers. And please help others find us by rating and reviewing the show. And now, let's get nerdy. It was interesting to hear how it was some of the failed response of alpha blockade and, and the hemodynamic treatments that led you down this road. And I kind of wanted us to bring up that in addition to all of your many positive trials with Carvedilol, with Paradigm HF, with Emperor Reduced, that there were some notably neutral trials, such as oral milrinone with higher um, mortality, the potential for amlodipine that um, not pan out and not ischemic. And then the initial kind of lack of benefit with neprilysin inhibition in overture when it was combined with an ACE inhibitor, which then you came back to over a decade later with Tibetrovalsartan. How did going through those trials and some of those neutral results shape your career? So I don't know how many large multi-center trials I've led. I think the number is over 20. Here's the most important lesson that I learned. First of all, most trials you do are going to disappoint you. Most of the 20 trials did not meet their primary endpoints. Most of the 20 trials were not moments of ecstatic celebration. Most of the 20 trials showed that a drug either didn't work or hurt people. But I learned a lot more from the trials that failed than from the trials that succeeded. Just think about it. If you do a trial and it turns out exactly the way you expect, what have you learned? Not much. You already thought it might work, and so it's confirmed that it works. You feel good. You feel happy. You love to tell the story, but it's not necessarily true that you've learned a great deal on a personal level. Contrast that with the fact that you sometimes do a trial and you really think it's going to work and it doesn't. Well, then you've learned something. Now, why did I think that was going to work and it didn't? So the probably the best story, it really is, I think, one of the best examples is the trial that you mentioned, Overture. So Overture was with a drug called omipatrolat. It was a neprilysin inhibitor 
and an ACE inhibitor in the same molecule, same molecule. And it was being developed for the treatment of hypertension. It was a great antihypertensive drug. And we convinced the uh, sponsor, Bristol-Myers Squibb, to support a trial in uh, heart failure. And we uh, said, uh, well, what, what's the dose of, of the drug? And they said, oh, it's, uh, th- th- this is a pretty easy drug to, to give. In hypertension, we give it once a day. This is the dose. So we did a trial at the dose that they used in the treatment of hypertension. And at the end of the trial, we didn't meet the primary endpoint. The drug didn't reduce morbidity and mortality. But we realized that we used a dose that only produced neprilysin inhibition for 12 hours out of 24. That uh, the drug was developed once a day because the company wanted a once a day drug for hypertension. It wasn't a once a day drug. They just wanted it to be a once a day drug for hypertension. So we borrowed the dose, used it in heart failure and found it didn't work for 24 hours. It inhibited ACE for 24 hours, but it didn't inhibit neprilysin for 24 hours. So we got a, a modest effect, not statistically significant, but when we looked at the data, we said, oh my God, if we had given it twice a day, we might have gotten a positive result. So we went around and asked many pharmaceutical companies to sponsor another neprilysin inhibitor trial. And we asked and we asked and Every time we would go to a sponsor, they would say, are you crazy? You just did the overture trial and it failed. Why are you asking us to make another investment in neprilysin inhibition when you already said that it doesn't work? I said, I said it didn't work in the way that we gave it. I didn't say it didn't work. And they said, well, that's really nice. If we ever develop a neprilysin inhibitor, we're sure to give you a call. Well, uh, many years go by and we hear that Novartis is developing a combination of an angiotensin receptor blocker and a neprilysin inhibitor for hypertension. And I said, Oh, I've, I've remembered this story. And, uh, we raced over to Novartis, John McMurray and I, and we said, you have to develop this drug for heart failure. But if you're going to develop this drug for heart failure, you have to give it twice a day because otherwise we're not going to be able to test the neprilysin inhibitor hypothesis. And we met with the leadership of the company. And they said, you know, we're, we're, we're potentially interested in your idea of doing a heart failure trial. But, you know, these heart failure trials, they last a long time and they're very expensive. And, um, we'll tell you what, we'll invest in one trial, just one, but it better be a hell of a trial. 
And uh, John and I went back and, and we said, oh, my God, they say they're going to invest in this drug. It was called LCZ-696. It was an angiotensin receptor neprilysin inhibitor. And it had never, ever been given to a patient with heart failure, ever. There was no phase one data. There was no phase two data. There was nothing. All we had was some dose response data in hypertension. So we said, we, we sat down, wrote a protocol, uh, proposed a trial of 5,500 patients, presented it to the company, thinking they're going to say no. They're going to say no because overture was negative and they're not going to make another investment. And company came back and they said, you know, we're going to do this. Would you guys mind if we increase the sample size from 5,500 to 8,400? I said, would we mind if you increase the sample size from 5,500 to 8,400? I said, why would you want to increase that? They said, we want to go for mortality. And so the Paradigm trial was the first trial ever done with that compound in heart failure. There wasn't a phase one. There wasn't a phase two. We skipped phase one. We skipped phase two. We went directly to phase three. The truth is that we, we were really, really excited that when, when that trial was stopped early by the Data Safety Monitoring Board, we remember we found a 10% reduction in the risk of major events in overture. And we thought that we had achieved neprilysin inhibition half the time. So we thought, oh, this is really easy. 10% times two is 20%. We expect a 20% reduction in the risk of major events. And guess what we found in Paradigm? Exactly a 20% reduction in risk of major events. It was one of those very few moments when you see the results and you say, oh my God, we were right. But you know something? Life typically doesn't give you second chances. How many times do you get a chance to take a result that you wish you had done differently and someone gives you a chance to do it over again? That's an unbelievable privilege. That's a privilege most people don't get. Well, Dr. Packer, this is an amazing story. And I just have a quick follow-up question, not to take you back to the downers to when trials don't work, but I just really uh, want to take this opportunity to ask you, as a trialist, when things don't work and you've made this big pitch at the beginning and you've shown why this is going to be big and it turns out to be a negative study and you're presenting it on the sometimes the biggest stages in cardiology, like how do you deal with that from a mental health capacity? And then also, so the, the secret in life is you under-promise and you over-deliver. You never, ever, ever tell anyone before you see the results that things are going to be wonderful. Mm. You don't know. You just don't know. You can tell people what the hypothesis is. You can tell people why you think the hypothesis is credible. 
and you say, we're doing a trial in order to test this hypothesis, but you never make promises. There's, remember, some trials turn out badly because you actually expected that they would. Let me give you an example. The, um, when a positive inotropic agents that depended on cyclic AMP, like amyrinone and milrinone, were first introduced, I was really negative about them. I published papers saying that they worsened heart failure, they accelerated the progression of disease, they made people worse. And I, I was very, very skeptical. And when the uh, sponsor of Melanone decided to do an outcomes trial, they should have gone to someone who was unbelievably enthusiastic about Melanone. But instead, they called me and they said, would you lead our Melanone trial? I said, I'm sorry, you must have the wrong number. You called, you called me and I have been writing about the fact that amyrinone and milrinone are detrimental in heart failure. And the company said, that's why we want you to leave the study. Because if you leave the study and you show it works, then people will believe it. I said, just suppose I do the study and I prove that everything that I'm saying is right. Then they say, then you were right. So we launched the trial and the trial ended with an increase in mortality. It came out exactly the way that I had predicted. It was sad that the drug did that, but that, that was my expectation. And for the entire time that that trial was going on, when I would talk about the trial, I would tell people what my expectations were and my expectations were not favorable. So the, the whole concept, the whole concept is always, always be honest with your audience. Always tell people how you think, tell people why you think it and tell people that you might be wrong. And if you do that, when you finally see the results, you can get up and you can say, this is what we thought, but this is what we found. And it is equally satisfying to get up with a definitive trial and say that you were wrong than to say that you were right. You don't get any brownie points for being right you get brownie points for doing the right trial. That is fascinating, Dr. Packer. And I love that you push forward in the name of good science and in search of truth um, in order to achieve better patient care. Um, so our next question is kind of in, still in the realm of dark horses. It's about SGLT2 inhibitors. Now that was an amazing discussion. It's a good thing we have three more parts in this historic journey with Dr. Milton Packer. So friends, make sure you tune in for part four, SGLT2 inhibitors, under-promised and over-delivered. Until then, it's time to make like an S2 and split. Beep. Beep.